Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Javi Kravitz. Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. I'm Avi Kravitz, and today we have a very special guest with us, an old friend of the podcast, Iris van der Wierken, who is now eight months into her role as Executive Director of the Watch and Jewelry Initiative 2030. The organization was set up by the brands Cartier and Kering to drive progress on sustainability within the jewelry industry, and we chat about the framework in which it's working, the direction it has taken, and what it all means for the trade. This is a super important topic for the industry, and the initiative is bringing a lot of innovation to the discussion as Iris outlined. So I encourage everyone to take her words to heart as you enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Iris van der Wierken. Hi, Iris. It's so great to have you back on the podcast. Welcome back. It's great to see you again. Thank you, Avi. I must say I'm also delighted to be here and I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And we, we invite you back to the podcast. The last time was in a different role. You were the executive director of the Responsible Jewelry Council. And in the last year, you've changed positions and you're now part of a new initiative called the Watch and Jewelry Initiative 2030. That's the official name including the 2030. So it's barely been a year. How has that transition been for you? And how would you sum up your experience so far in this new organization that's been created? Well, of course, it was, a, I admit, it was a very turbulent and emotional year, but also I think a year where I learned a lot and I feel extremely grateful in the place where I have landed in the Watch and Jew Initiative 2030. So if you ask me about my experience, I think, first of all, I believe really I have found my true role of purpose. You know, today everyone talks about, you know, what is purpose and really what can you do to find your mission in life? And I believe with this initiative that I have found my space to be able to do what I really like to do. I feel privileged to work with, of course, two co-founding members like Cartier and Kerry, who are very advanced on the sustainability agenda. And I think the magic is also in the coalition. Here you have about 30 companies from big brands to small enterprises to organizations like GIA, so very different backgrounds. And yet we have this ambition to move that 2030 agenda ahead. So I would say definitely a role of purpose. I think also for me, it has been a true journey of learning because, you know, I think every day we learn, but actually I believe I am learning much more every day because when we look at the three pillars of the initiative, climate action, biodiversity and inclusiveness, they're three complicated topics. And especially in the topic of biodiversity, I admit to say I had not been really diving into that. And it's a topic that is critical. In December, there has been a very important framework developed, which is the coming Montreal Global Biodiversity Framework. It's like a big milestone again in the sustainability agenda. And now the question is, how can companies integrate biodiversity in their agenda. So this is complex, so I'm learning. And I think my final element I want to share in that question is it's a partnership experience. We can't do it alone. So I believe our initiative is part of this broader ecosystem where we need to work not just closely with members, but with governments, with academic institutions, with other standard bodies, you named the RJC, but there are many other organizations who are doing meaningful work in that space. 
And of course, our partnership recently with United Nations Global Compact and also our project with UN Women reflects this vision of collaboration. Okay, so um, you've gone into a lot of the modus operandi of the initiative. And that was my next question, just because I think a lot of our listeners wouldn't be aware of. And so I'd like you to maybe give us a bit of background in the context of other organizations that seem to be on the same sort of track. Um, the RJC being one of them where you spend three years developing a lot of these sort of programs. So what was the need that the initiative had to fill and how does it differentiate from those other organizations? The Watch and Jury initiative was actually founded more than a year ago, a year and a half ago, actually, really driven by two CEOs who came together. It was the CEO of Cartier, Mr. Cyril Vigneron, who actually went to Mr. Francois Palu, the CEO of the Caring Group, and Mrs. Marie-Claire Daveux, who is head of sustainability at sea level and also institutional affairs, to look at working closer together on the sustainability agenda in the spirit of the fact that there's really an urgency, which is the case because we know all the data, all the reports that are out there on 2030 is that we are behind. We are behind on climate. We're behind on gender. We're behind on so many topics. As an industry, we're behind or generally as a society, all industries? Uh, all industries. So not just our industry. All industries are behind. Governments are behind. Everyone is behind. So it needs bold leadership. It needs courageous leadership. So actually, I think two inspiring companies just said, let's do something about it. So first of all, it's sea-driven commitment. Second, we are not a standards body. So we are not about auditing and certification. I don't think that's our role. There are many standard bodies out there who are doing work that is well, and standard bodies help to set management systems in an organization. We are about delivering impact. So we believe that we have a huge role through this movement and through this startup company to not only learn from the collective, because you have all these individual companies who are at different stages of maturity, but also to look at exploring together where we can have the most meaningful impact on those topics. And that's what we aim to be. We really want to have this mission of building a responsible supply chain for the global jewelry and watch industry, but based on measurable impact. And I think the point you raised before is really good, Avi, because no one can do it alone. So we believe in that big ecosystem of responsibility. I think we want to be a little bit, you know, the leader, kind of say, come on, industry, let's do this. We need to advance. Let us help lead the way. And believe me, I want to be humble eh, because we are just a startup. We're learning. Last week, we had our second meeting at Cartier. It's complex, but it's definitely our ambition because we believe we need leaders to be more bold and to stand up. I think that the point that stands out for me in that introduction to the organization is that you're not a certification body. And I think maybe the trap that many of us fall into when we think about these you know, sustainability issues, that there's sort of this list of boxes that you have to tick you know, as you, as you go through and towards achieving those goals that have been set. That sort of takes away a bit of the, the heart and the meaning out of the program, I think, often. But that said, you know, as an organization, you would need to measure progress. And so without that certification, how do you measure progress? How are members held accountable to the standards that, that the Watch and Jewelry Initiative has set out? It's important to reiterate, we are not setting up standards. We will reference standards. We're not reinventing the wheel. So we will use standards maybe to support what we do. I think it's super important. One of the core elements of the Watch and Jew Initiative 2030 is measurable progress. And how can we 
show progress? Well, first of all, you have to make a commitment. You have to set a baseline. Where are we? Then we need to set targets. Where do we want to go with milestones? And then we need to be accountable and report on those actions. And that's actually the methodology that we want to implement for the three pillars. And it was also point of discussion at our workshop last week to look at really, okay, what are the priority actions that members have to take as part of the commitment? Otherwise, you cannot be part of the initiative. So it's definitely not a free ride. It's really important. You will deliver, but you're not on that journey on your own. We will help you. And then it's from commitment to action to accountability, to reporting back. And that's, of course, where I very much believe we also have a role as the initiative to help the members understand how critical it is to report on that progress. And we will help them give the tools also, you know, that they don't feel so lonely in that journey of reporting. What is the requirement for membership? What does a company have to show and commit to in the initial membership process both from those commitments that you mentioned, but also, I guess, financially, I mean, is there a cost involved? How does one join up with the the initiative? So, Avi, if we talk about requirements for the membership, of course, the first requirement is that companies have to be serious about the initiative and they have to commit to the three pillars. So the first requirement is a commitment. And so what we see is companies will write to myself or to Marie-Claire Daveux or Cyril Vigneron with their commitment to say, I want to join the initiative. Then they will go through an independent due diligence process because it is very important for us to have that independency of the due diligence process before members are accepted. And with that, of course, we need to be able to function. We are very privileged to have funding by Caring and by Cartier, but we need additional membership fees. So that is about 0.004% of the annual relevant sales. But I think at the heart is a fact about a commitment. And it is also about, from the commitment, moving into the actions and then reporting on the progress. And that is really, I think, the whole circle of the initiative. And so maybe you can explain or describe at the meeting that you had last week at the Cartier headquarters. This was a meeting of all your members, I would assume. Right, and that came together. And what transpires at at such a meeting? So the second meeting in Geneva was a really important meeting, Avi, to focus now on actions. I think the first meeting in Paris was really about connecting the hearts and the minds. It was the first time people would meet. They had questions about the agenda, about the priorities. They could give suggestions. We looked at some possible topics on scalability. Last week was very much focused, okay, time for action, priorities, We have our governance framework set, so we announced our new governance. We'll be launching our stakeholder report in about three weeks. Um, The past six, seven months, I've been actively engaged with many stakeholders, and the result of that is a framework on governance. So we launched it there with the members. We looked at the priorities in collaboration with our partners, Boston Consulting Group and BSR, and we did a lot of exercises. So we actually had different roundtables looking at the pillars And looking at, okay, what are the, not only the priorities, but what are the actions we have to take immediately? Where are some milestones that we need to deliver long-term? And what will it take to be able to be successful? So I think everybody was very enthusiastic, but it was very hard work. At the end of the day, everyone was exhausted, but we're happy because it means that we're ready to shape our roadmaps for the three pillars. And I think what was also very inspiring is that the CEO of Cartier, Mr. Cyril Vigneron himself was present and he gave quite an inspirational talk about his vision for the initiative. 
And also the members could ask questions, give suggestions to him. So it was definitely very engaging. There are a few things that appeal to me about the initiative. The first is that it is driven by the brands. And I think that's something that we're, as an industry, learning more about, particularly in the context of the geopolitical the geopolitical events that have taken place in the last year that are sort of fast-tracking the industry's sort of traceability programs. And, and it seems to me, in my mind, that those are really driven by the brands. It's the brands that, you know, Legality aside with the sanctions against Russian diamonds in the United States, but the brands are the ones who are really pushing that, that they can't afford for their any sort of reputational risk to come through. And they also want to do the right thing for so many reasons, including that it tells a better story for their brands. And so I think it's very interesting that this um, initiative, which, which is focused more on the sustainability side of things, is being pushed by the brands and that should be attractive to other industry members to get involved in. And so my question on that is the danger is that others might feel that that it's kind of just for the brands or for those bigger companies. And so how do smaller enterprises, I know that you've just um, uh, partnered with the UN uh, body that focuses on small enterprises, but how do those smaller businesses, which is the bulk of the trade and the industry, both at, you know in the midstream and retail, how do they get involved? And I'm looking for the message that it applies to them as well. Well, we welcome everyone to join the initiative if they want to join the journey from commitment to action to reporting. I can say with a lot of confidence that this initiative is indeed spearheaded by some leading brands, but at the same time that the small enterprises are at the heart of our initiative thinking and spirit. And today already, Avi, I'm proud to say we have Mattioli, which is a very big community in supply chain from Italy. For example, we have a Walters & Hendricks, which is a smaller brand in Belgium that has just joined. And we very much believe on working together with the suppliers. I think at the heart of everything we will do, we will include the supply chain. So even if suppliers are not joining the initiative today, they will be part of the engagement exercise that we will do because some of the projects that we are aiming for is very much focused on the supply chain, which is the wider ecosystem of the brands. And I think we talked about it at the beginning is that we need to look at sustainability not in an isolated way. We need to see it as an ecosystem of your company. And if you look at a brand, actually the whole connectivity with the supply chain that's where the biggest risk also lies and the biggest opportunity is to build capacity building. And as you know, many brands work with the same suppliers. So how can we strengthen that capacity? Can we have a unified approach to some of these more challenging topics like you know, due diligence, like human rights, like operationalization even of climate action? So I'm very convinced that we are there for the SMEs and it's my personal commitment to the small enterprises. Right. And knowing you personally, I certainly take that to heart. Is the idea to create this sort of community of partners within a responsible supply chain? And that's my impression within the, the RJC, for example, that you have members of the RJC who meet its standards and they encourage they're encouraged to do business with each other because they're a body of like-minded companies. And so is there that similar sort of undercurrent message within the Watch and Jewelry Initiative to do the same? So for me, standards play a very meaningful role in the journey of sustainability. 
you need standard bodies to help set the baseline for management systems. If we look at our industry since 2005, when the RGC was founded, the fact that those standards came in, that has really had a very positive ripple effect on the whole industry. But I think also times are changing, Avi, and standards are not enough. We need to move beyond standards. And I think that's why we are here. We want to work with standards bodies, but we also want to step up and move beyond and help the industry accelerate on some of these topics and look at the different ecosystems where hopefully we can get you know, some innovation and new solutions that will help advance the industry. And that can be in the, on different topics. That can be, we talked about it, human rights, operationalization, due diligence, the agenda of biodiversity. I acknowledge to say, you know, that I am actually new into that space. I need to learn a lot. And, and I'm so passionate about sustainability. So I can imagine many people are starting only their journey. And then it's really nice to work with companies like Caring, who are so advanced in that space and who are willing to share that knowledge for the, you know, the benefit of the whole industry. So I don't want to look at the ecosystem as all of us working in isolation. I want us to see us as a connected network that will protect the industry as a whole. Because the consumer you know, should not be worried about one or the other. The consumer deserves trust and a brand promise. And only in a united way we can support that brand promise if we all do well together to build transparency and trust in the supply chain. And how would you frame, you know, as, as a leader of the organization, how would you frame your strategy and your thought process in moving the initiative forward? Well, first of all, Afi, we were founded by, you know, two leading brands, you know, Carrie and Cartier, driven by CEOs. I think it's really important for us. We are a C-suite movement. We really believe at the end of the day, sustainability is in the hearts and of the CEOs. It should be in the hearts of the CEOs and it should be a priority on their agenda. As an initiative, we see ourselves as an accelerator, really accelerating the 2030 agenda but also a partnership builder. We need to be humble. No one can do it alone. So we need to work together with all the uh, associations, organizations, different stakeholders to be able to have meaningful impact. And hopefully out of all of that collaboration will come innovation. Again, that can go back to the whole industry. We always talk about really three pillars where we see our opportunity. And the first one is we believe we can scale faster through learning and partnerships. We see that, for example, with our partnership with United Nations Global Compact in New York, they have so much expertise from the Global Compact, which is the largest sustainability initiative in the world. We can learn from that, we can build on that, and hopefully help accelerate solutions. Second is, we also believe in the what I would call the unlock impact of the collective. There are so many issues that different companies are working on, how can we find the strength of the collective? And how can we also share knowledge from those individual companies to the collective? And finally, we do believe we have an enormous opportunity to lead and accelerate on transparency and reporting. At the heart of consumer confidence is product integrity. It means is you need to have credible data on your supply chain. And that's where we also want to encourage companies to report better based on international best practices. Fair enough. Within the diamond industry, the hot topic at the moment is the traceability and the human rights issues and conflict. And you were in the heart of that discussion about a year ago. 
in your role at the at the RJC. And I know that it's not to the exclusion of other issues, but um, the watch and jewelry initiatives focuses very much on sustainability. But how do those human rights and um, supply chain challenges fit into the discussion at the initiative? Well, first of all, the human rights agenda should be the heart of any sustainability strategy of any organization in our industry. And it's something very close to my heart because we sell jewelry. We don't sell machines. We sell emotions. I think that gives a double responsibility how that jewelry is created. And if you think then about a piece of jewelry and the components of a piece of jewelry, you know that it's going to go through an enormous supply chain and that can come you know, from India to Africa to Thailand to Armenia to China, you name it. And that's a shared responsibility because you can only have trust in your supply chain if all the dots of the connections, how the goods move, are responsible. So with that comes responsible actors. And I believe that is so critical in today's world that we all take that responsibility serious and we're accountable for that. I'm also confident, Avi, that if we are not going to manage that well, that there's a huge risk to our industry. And especially if you look at that new consumer that is so much looking for that real purpose, that wants to understand the authentic story behind the jewelry and the product. So that requires credible actions based on the right data so that when you make that brand promise, that the story behind that brand promise has integrity. So for me, the future of the industry is all about integrity and accountability. And that means is that you need to invest in transparency. I like that terminology of connecting the integrity and accountability because I think that's it's key. And the third part of the triangle would be that um, transparency. Um, I couldn't agree more. You know, as soon as you started speaking about that, my mind again went to the brands. And it's not just the big brands. It's I think every company has its own individual brand and its own identity and personality that it wants to transmit to the rest of the industry, to its clients and to consumers as well. And so fitting into that is part of the brand story. And it's very interesting that it is all interconnected. You know, it's sustainability, human rights, all of the above are, are part of that same conversation about accountability, integrity. So I appreciate that answer very, very much. And sometimes I think that companies are afraid about the space because it is not perfect and they would like to give a perfect picture but that's not needed. I think if a company today says that their sustainability is perfect, I would really get very worried about that. I think sustainability is a journey of continuous improvement. But you have to show the improvements. And you have to acknowledge where your big risks lie. And you have to also tell your position towards those risks and tell to your stakeholders, what am I doing about it? You know, what am I doing? I know those risks. And these are the actions I'm taking. And these are some of the corrective actions I'm taking. And I think that's where there's a lot of room for improvement. But then again, I think it's a general trend I see. I follow many industries, not just ours. And it's evolving. I also see us as a role there to give a safe space to you know, look at some of those topics 
and do some pilot work and share the learnings with the broader industry on topics like operationalization of human rights due diligence. Right. And I think that idea that you have to come in with the perfect record is a perception that does need to be broken. And I think, again, it sort of stems to what I mentioned earlier about ticking boxes. You know, that there's no complete list in this uh, discussion. It's a matter of improving and building on what you've done in the past. And uh, before we close up, I would like to go into some of the practical elements of this program. You know, can you give us an example of you know, maybe on each of the three pillars, what, um, you know, a short example of what sort of programs you're promoting um, on each of them. So first of all, we are still shaping the bigger roadmap per pillar because we acknowledge that it's not an easy exercise trying to find the right paths forward. And we're shaping that. And our objective is also in the coming months to communicate about that. But of course, we have started already some of the hard work For example, on the first pillar, climate action, it is really about science-based targets. So the first thing is companies have to commit to science-based targets. They have to set those targets. It means they have to understand their baseline. They'll have to think about how they're going to implement that so that at a certain point, they will be able to report on that. Now, some of those companies have started that journey or advanced in the journey. Others are just starting. So depending on the level of maturity, we're looking at how to get everyone into that right direction. On the second, for example, on biodiversity, we've just literally found experts in biodiversity to help us shape the roadmap ahead. So we've actually only had our first workshop on giving some ideas. What could be the priorities? We're also going to learn from the fashion pack there because they already are more advanced on the biodiversity agenda. So I think there we can give more information in the coming weeks. On the third pillar, it's important is that we started a partnership with UN Women in two levels. One is on the women empowerment principles, and that is a framework internationally recognized that any company can commit to. And it's something that we want to push throughout the whole industry. We're going to campaign it on International Women's Day because we believe it is so important that all the associations will help their members push it's called the WEPS, into their operation. But second, we have already launched a pilot on gender procurement with a few of our members. And it is about procurement mechanisms and to see how indeed women are integrated. So Cartier, Monica Vinader, Gucci, Rosie Blue, Julie Sandler, Dimmickson, Ital Preziosi, Rubel Minashi and Swarovski have started this pilot. And the objective is really to look at the new tool that UN Women has developed. It's just new and they will test the waters in their supply chain and we will see where we are on the results. And then finally, a little bit more transversal, we have started an ESG working group on reporting. So we have looked at all the metrics recognized by international reporting frameworks and we're looking at what would be the key indicators that are relevant for the initiative, but also relevant to the evolving regulatory landscape of the EU. Because as you know, the EU is pushing transparency reporting. So we also want to use it as an opportunity to help our companies be fit for purpose in the evolving regulatory framework. But in parallel, I can tell you that different members have suggested projects so they can set up their own work stream and other members can step in. And I think those building blocks Probably by July, I can hopefully report back at GCK where we are on that. Can you expand on some of those projects that you're, uh, that you're working on toward gender equality? So when we look at gender, I am always 
in shock actually when we think you know it will take up to 300 years to to close the gaps so there's definitely a role to play by governments but then if you look at leadership positions you know one of the recent reports from UN Women says it will take 140 years for women to achieve equal representation in leadership positions and 40 years for the same to happen in national parliaments i mean these are just a bit of examples but then imagine our industry where 90% of the consumer behavior is influenced by women, how can we break those barriers? And how can we get that, I call it cultural transformation in an organization to empower women, but also to integrate gender equality? Because it's not just about women, there's also the element of intersectionality. And that's why it's so complex. And the vision of the initiative is, you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There is excellent work and methodology available That's why we have this collaboration with UN Women. And that's where we're also looking, for example, uh, to work with the Black and Jewelry Coalition in New York. We will look at the Women Jewelry Association. We are not going to start on our own. We will see what is out there and build on that and use international recognized instruments and then motivate companies to implement. It's always surprising to me how, given the product, and as you mentioned, that it's it's an industry really built on female advancement that it is still a rather male-centric industry within the trade. And I think that it can start with your members making that change would be a very powerful and effective means to bring more diversity on the ground within these companies. Yeah, for example, Avi, our collaboration with Sipcho and also BGOP, which is the French Association of Jurors, is a really meaningful one because they, again, have the opportunity to cascade our work And again, also help us to showcase the best practices, also from companies that are not part of our community. I think it's super important to be humble and to look at exploring, to work together with other ecosystems in the benefit for the whole industry. We need to put all our egos down and just work together. Thank you. And that, you certainly got your hands full and, and a lot of work to do. And it, it sounds like there's a lot of innovation and a lot of thought, bouncing ideas among members and within the industry. And I think that's what's very exciting for me. And I think for you as well, um, Iris, I can see in your in your demeanor and your, I'm just so, so pleased to see you on a personal level that you are fulfilling this mission and such an important one for the industry as a whole. So I wish you luck in this endeavor and we'll be watching it closely. Thank you very much, Avi, for having me. It's always a pleasure to be part of it because I like the fact that you also know a lot about the sustainability space. So it's great to talk to you. Allow me to just end with a quote from Nelson Mandela. It is in your hands to make a better world for all who live in it. I think that's my personal mission, that through the Watch and Joe Initiative 2030, I can make a substantial difference for this industry but most important for the livelihoods for people on the ground. Absolutely. And I think the the industry as a whole, I should have let you let the podcast finish with that because it's such a great, great quote. But as an industry as a whole, we're so well positioned for everyone in the industry to take that on board and run with it. So Iris, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for being on our podcast to explain it to our audience. It's been great having you as always. Thank you, Avi. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rapport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on rapport.com, follow Rapport Group on Instagram and follow Rapport 
on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.